Greetings, friends, our dear listeners. I'm right now I'm sitting in my childhood bedroom looking at Chandler as she is curling her hair in the Jack and Jill bathroom. Chandler, do you want to say hello? They cannot hear you at all. Chandler just said no. She does not want to say hello. Um, So anyway, you guys, this week we are bringing you part two of our Royals Deep Dive on Patreon. So we're releasing the full episode for the public. And why are we doing that? Well, we knew we were going to release one in full. And this one really was just such a banger. It was so fun that we decided that this is the one that we're going to release to tease Wow, how apropos for what you're about to get into. To tease the Royals Deep Dive on Patreon, that series that we're doing. So get excited. This episode is very good. Um, It's also not safe for work, not safe for children, not safe for parents. John and Deb, this is your signal. Turn off now. Don't blame us. Seriously, Chandler just said, don't blame us. Blame the Royals. She's feeding me lines from the bath, from our Jack and Jill bathroom. Um, That's so true. Like, all we're doing is reporting on some seriously freaky people, and that's not our fault, okay? It don't don't get mad at us. Get mad at history. That's all I have to say. Um, all right. And beyond that, if you're thinking, Lauren, I signed up for the Patreon because I was so titillated by your incredible teasers on Instagram, and now you're giving that for free? Well, rest assured, my dear, not only are we coming out with many more Royals deep dives, this is just the beginning of this series, we are also going to have a deep dive on Brad Pitt, Angelina Jolie, and Jennifer Aniston, the love triangle we were all obsessed with in the 2000s. Yes, we are deep diving that on the Patreon. That is going to be out this Friday. So yes, a lot is happening over there. Chan and I have a huge goal to get to a thousand patrons. That is our our big goal. And we are, Chandler just looked at me, we do? (laughs) I hadn't told her about this goal of ours. Yes, we do. That's the goal. So we are currently sitting at about 750 and we are just really excited about doubling down and bringing amazing content to both our free weekly episodes that, of course, will never go away, and then our Patreon. Um, so thank you all so much for listening. I hope you enjoy this episode. And then for those of you that are on Patreon, we will be with you Friday with a deep dive on the love triangle that led to a rosé tort lawsuit. Okay? Yes. Let's just say I really hope that Brad Pitt did not hire Elaine Bredehoft. Okay. Enjoy that today's episode, you guys. Again, NSFW, NSF children, NSF John and Deb. Goodbye. Oh, and I'm sorry. I'm back, actually. Hello again. Um, a final bit of housekeeping. We have the giveaway, you guys. It's the June giveaway. We have not had that many entries. So if you are listening to this and it is still June you can enter. So to enter, Chandler? To enter the giveaway, you need to post about our podcast on your Instagram story, um, on your Facebook feed. I don't know, whatever suits you. Um, And the big note here is that you need to include a link to an episode. And also you need to not give away that it is for a giveaway because that gives it all away. (laughs) Okay, that's it. All right. Thank you guys. Yes. And make sure to tag us so we can see it. That way we can enter you into the $500 shopping spree giveaway. And did you say the part about including the link or? Okay. Okay. Oh. Oh, shocker. All right. Goodbye for real. Enjoy. NSFW and SF children.
Well, 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 Lauren, you have an exquisite episode prepared for us, don't you? I really do. I think today's episode is going to be excellent. And I never actually, I've never done this before where I've overhyped and been like, this is going to be really good. I think I've always, maybe I've said, oh, this episode was really good, but now I'm kind of nervous because we have a lot to live up to. Um, yeah, let's not overhype it. Let's not, you know, let's not sell ourselves out before we even get in there. I'm just going to say this, that I know, I know that the contents of the past episode, talking about Diana, talking about maybe dramas that um, we were a little more familiar with, were very apropos, very in line with all of our celebrity interests. I get that. And today we're deep diving into a little bit more obscure royal figures, okay? I'm just going to be straightforward about that. Not really, actually. They're not that obscure. It's Camilla. Okay, so this is a, today's a deep dive on Camilla. I'm excited. Yeah, it's a lot. It's basically all about Camilla um, and Charles. Are you gonna Are you gonna change my mind completely about Camilla? Just wait, just wait, just wait. I mean, okay, we're just okay. getting started here. We're literally still. We're just getting started. It's middle of chapter two is the only place we're getting to today, and there's 26 chapters in this book. So again, I'm not sure how we're gonna get through it all. I'm hoping there's gonna be some boring chapters we can skip. Um, I hope to but God I, there is too. I do promise that will not. This will not become six months on the royals. I will figure it out. Um, but I love how I'm like. What yes, if we're talking about a, an obscure royal figure, Camilla? Obscure, <laughs> obscure, like literally a part of the royal family. Like um, literally the next queen consort, Camilla. I don't even know what that means. You're just you're such an expert. Well, you're not, if you are going to become the queen or king by marriage, not by birth not by air mm-hmm. so like um philip Kate. like philip didn't want to be king consort he so that's why he stayed prince philip got um, it, got it. but if you are become yeah so um i think i think that's the reason i, I that's just a, a fact i don't want to hear i think out of you you're literally supposed to be the expert on this can you google it really quick i'm trying to just take off my robe it. oh gross no just just my <laughs> okay harvey weinstein <laughs> I have I have clothes on underneath. I'm just getting a little toasty in my office. I don't really know even what to Google, so I'll just take your word for it. Okay. Anyway, let's dig in, Chandler. So shall we? <laughs> finally, finally, she responds. Doesn't leave me hanging. Okay. Let's okay. See. I'm gonna bring my tome toward me. It's hard to hold a What's tome. What's your tome? What's your tome? T o m e the book, the Ugh. tome. It's so annoying. It's like. The most insufferable people I know don't even use the word tome as to refer to a book. Someone put on their stories today that uh, when you call me insufferable, an angel gets its wings. And that kind of hurt my feelings, but I'm trying to move past it. Oh, that is um, kind of rude. I think it's, I think she meant it as a, a lighthearted joke. And really, That's I need pretty to just, funny. I need to take it in stride. Like Camilla took yeah. all the bad PR that was thrown her way. So Absolutely. I'm, in, I'm in royal company. Okay. Mm-hmm. So let's dig in. Sex and sensibility is this chapter why Charles loves Camilla. Okay. Mm. Okay. So first Tina tells us that Camilla really got to where she is today, Chandler, by playing hard to get. She played by Deb's rules. I was going to say Deb would be proud. Yes. So this is what Tina says. She says, the important thing to remember about Camilla is that she never wanted to marry Prince Charles. And now she's his wife. Wow. She said she would not be a public figure. And she now does more than 200 royal engagements a year. It's a long con, baby. (laughs) 
gosh, talk about a, a, it's like they say after law school, like the passing the bar is like a pie eating contest where the prize is more pie. Like it's, it's like mm. talk about mm. a, gosh, now she gets to do 200 royal engagements a I know, year. Like can't wait to Brutal. go to all those charity events. <laughs> she okay. should be so lucky. And she said that after Prince Charles's coronation as king, she will be known as Princess Consort. So I was correct. Yes, Consort. But that cautious plan, too, has been discarded. And a Queen Camilla is in Britain's future. Whoa, really? Yes. Yeah, so so she, she always played it cool with the British public and said, I don't even want to marry him. I don't, I'm, I don't even need to be known as king or as queen. And look at what we get. We're getting, we're getting, look a, at what we're getting a queen Camilla on the throne. Wow. Okay. okay so, so is she of royal blood at all? Oh no, 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 no. So then I how mean, does she become a duchess? How does that happen? So Camilla is highborn, right? And I'm going to get into this, but she's mm-hmm. from high society, but she's not actually from aristocracy. It's a very important right. distinction, Chandler. Yeah. Um, she became Duchess because she, how do you think Megan got the title Duchess, Chandler? Yeah, I guess you're right. So they just give it to you. That's just a given. I can tell you that Thomas Markle was not a Duke. That's all I have to say. Yes, <laughs> they, give, <laughs> they give it to you okay. when you are brought into the royal family. Okay, okay. Okay. Gotcha. So then Tina continues to write. She says, meanwhile, even though she has every right to be known as the Princess of Wales, Camilla chose to be styled as Her Royal Highness, the Duchess of Cornwall. She was shrewd Mm. enough to know it would be bad karma to assume a title forever associated with a princess so beloved. Right, right. Totally. Beyond simply her title choices and playing it cool, do you want to know how Camilla lured Charles into her boudoir? No. (laughs) Yes, but no, not like that. Okay. Camilla has always, this is what, this is what Tina writes. These are not my words. Camilla has always been sexual and emotional comfort food for the Prince of Wales. (laughs) Tina. Ding, ding, ding. Title received. Title brought to our consciousness. Mm -hmm. Title discovered. Sexual comfort food. Camilla. Okay. Queen Camilla, sexual comfort Queen food. Camilla. I don't know. I'll figure out some sort of variation. Incredible moniker. The ease of her charm from the moment she first met him at the age of 24 in 1972 unwound the tight wrapping of his princely training. Stop. <laughs> Can you just not read this like it's a porno? <laughs> just try. I don't know. It's really tough, honestly, when I'm reading these words. Jeez. Okay, but do you know, Chandler, who else was sexual comfort food for the crown? No. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm not going to know the answer to that question. <laughs> well, I'm shocked you don't know this. But Camilla's great-grandmother, Alice Keppel. Chandler, I'm shocked you don't know this. Alice what? Keppel was King Edward VII's favorite whore. Or, I'm sorry, favorite mistress. <laughs> You have to leave that in. <laughs> I, I honestly really, I don't even think of things in those terms. It just slipped out, but I really like. like it's because, were you thinking it was like 16th century or something? Like, or yes, I, guess I was, was trying to come up with concubine in my mind. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Favorite whore. Okay. 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 Tina. Okay. So we're going to go into the life of Alice, which is really incredible. So Alice 
The socially accomplished and witty charmer was the king's last major fling after a lifetime of juggling an unceasing cast of aristocratic mistresses and continental prostitutes. (laughs) Wait, what's her... Oh my, what's her name again? Alice Kippel? Alice Kippel. Can you please not Google? Wait, I want to see what she looks like. I have prepared a a stunning... She's a real... She's a looker. She's a real looker, yeah. Uh At the time Alice arrived in his life at the age of 29 to his 57, Bertie, as he was known, was a wheezing, malodorous figure, addicted to cigars and so obese that he sometimes had to be trussed up to achieve penetration. (laughs) What does that mean? Like held up? I honestly have no idea. I have no idea. Trussed up? Hold on. Can you please Google that? that? Trussed up? Yes. Okay. To tie, oh my gosh. Wait, to <laughs> tie the arms and legs of someone together tightly and roughly with rope to prevent them from moving or escaping. Okay, it can't be that. To tie up someone or bind. Just Google trust, how to trust up and around. I'm on my work computer. <laughs> okay, whatever. We'll leave he had to, to be secured. Else. He had to be secured in some way. He had to, he had to be wow. the listen. This was pre Viagra. So oh he gosh. needed a little help. Yeah. Holy pretty, shit. Pretty juicy. Um, and this wow. is one thing I want to say, because let me bring you back to this sentence that we might have glossed over. Okay. Alice was the king's last major fling after a lifetime of juggling an unceasing cast of, of aristocratic mistresses and continental prostitutes. So oh, this yes. is continental prostitutes. Was he the one who got divorced? No, 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 no. You mean okay. the one who married the divorcee? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was King Edward VIII, I believe okay. was his name. Okay. This is his, would be his dad. So okay. King Edward VII. Um, so this is the thing I really wanted to point out. I just feel like really bad for the current royals because the older generations mm-hmm. had it made. They could just have like a parade of continental right. prostitutes right. running through the castle. Mm-hmm. They could do whatever ever they wanted and that was and just no expected. one batted an eye no one batted an eye yeah oh you, yeah. you know alice that's the king that's king eddie's number one hoe she's uh oh she'll be at, sitting at his left hand tonight like i mean literally it's it, it was just so so ho-hum not a problem right and now fast forward to 2022 and prince william has to be as straight laced as a school teacher i mean i mean doesn't mean he necessarily is but yeah yeah, I just think the current royals got the short end of the stick. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Um, not to say that I wouldn't choose a pure life always. This is just, you of know, course, going to the minds of a vulturous male. Mm-hmm, okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, let's go back to Alice and the good old days, the royal good okay. old days. Okay. Okay, so Alice's staying power in Bertie's life can be attributed as much to her shrewd intelligence as it was to her beauty. She invariably knew the choicest scandal, the price of stocks, the latest political move. No one could better amuse the then prince during the tedium of the long dinner's etiquette decreed. With the priciest candle dialogue? Choicest scandal, price of stocks, and the latest political move. I mean, if you know gossip, if you know economics, if you know politics, what more can a man want except for Truly, being... Nothing you know, 29 and willing to trust your, your obese ass right. up. Oh, I don't know. Oh my gosh. Okay. No, was she trust or was he trust? No, he was trust to achieve. Okay. As Bertie was a wheezing, malodorous figure addicted to cigars and so obese that he sometimes had to be trussed up to achieve penetration. I'm thinking that's him. Yes. I'm thinking he's going to be tied to something so that it could. So yeah. 
Yeah. Okay. Anyway. Everyone can do their own, yeah, mental. We're getting bogged down. Um, In evening hours, her, her daughter Violet remembered Alice as resplendent in a perpetual tiara. Two maids laid out her four wardrobe changes per day into one of her many Silkworth gowns bedecked with long ropes of pearls and sparkling diamond collars. I'm here for the four outfit change a day type of life. I truly love that. I I always do at least two outfit changes during the day. I mean, Courtney is our sister and she puts us to perpetual shame with getting ready every day at 8 a.m. to, you know, to take on the storm of four children. Whereas I spent all days in silk pajamas with my hair tied up. I just cannot, I cannot bring myself to it. But this is what makes me feel better about this because really, really to look presentable every day in a beautiful way, you need people full-time dedicated to the cause, like preparing the outfits for you, Mm -hmm. doing your hair. You need a team. Yeah. You need a team. That's what I really appreciate about these early aristocrats. They understood that. Right. Okay. So the next thing Tina writes about that I find to be quite hilarious is that these aristocrats were basically a bunch of freaks, Chandler. Okay. Marriage was much more about about power and aligning fortunes than anything else. And it was essentially accepted that they were going to have extramarital affairs. Mm -hmm. Right. So this is what Tina says. She says, Edwardian adultery in aristocratic circles was an artful La Ronde, I think that means circle or something, conducted only after marriage with people of parallel social station, usually involving deft room swapping at whispering country house weekends. Most of Bertie's mistresses had compliant husbands who were happy, as was the Honorable George Keppel, with the status their wives' royal liaison conferred. Wow. Kind okay. Of, kind of crazy, right? Like yeah, you're proud crazy. that your wife is his favorite hoe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Times That's have really bizarre. changed. They really have. Wow. Um, I know. Okay. Okay. Scintillating. Yes. Okay. And this is kind of, I don't know. I just found this to be interesting about Atlas's husband, but yeah, below, this is what they write. It was what Tina writes below stairs. Gossip in the Kevill household whispered that the effete low testosterone, George vacated Alice's bed early in the marriage. By the time she first mesmerized the Prince of Wales in 1898, she developed a faithful stream of afternoon callers while her indifferent husband twirled his waxed mustache at his gambling club in Piccadilly. She may have been the toast of high society, but as a former maid of the household put it, Alice Keppel was a right dirty bird. That suited the libidinous birdie, who had a large scattering of illegitimate offspring, as well as his six children by the long-suffering Queen Alexandra. There are persistent rumors that Alice Keppel's younger daughter, Sonia, grandmother of Camilla, was in fact the daughter of the king, thus making the Duchess of Cornwall, Camilla, a possible blood relation of Prince Charles. Wow. Yeah, some real, real juice. That is, um, yeah, I'm, I'm looking up Sonia right now. But you know what? I do have a quote from Prince Charles for you. Okay, okay. Prince Charles is, is known to have said at least once, nothing says loving like kissing your cousin. Um, Stop, because, that's not no, true. He never said that. Oh my gosh. <laughs> he never said that, but it is potential that they're related. Yeah, um, okay. No big, I, uh, no, no big deal. Yes. And I think the really the reason why we're learning about Alice is because l- let's just say the apple did not fall from the Yale tree because mm-hmm. Camilla, she she had a fun time in her day, in her time. 
But beyond Camilla's very torrid affairs, I want to talk about one thing, one relationship dynamic that I found to be very interesting. Okay. I didn't re- I mean, I maybe I'd heard about it. I don't know. But apparently Charles has been quite thirsty for the crown for quite a long time. Mm, okay. This is something maybe they're going to cover in the crown. And so that's the only reason why I don't, I haven't really remembered this, but this is what Tina says. A century later, there were many similarities in the circumstances and dynamics between Alice and Bertie and Camilla and Charles. Like Bertie, Charles had to wait decades for the throne. Queen Victoria finally left the scene after reigning for 63 years, during which she thought her son was so hopeless, she rigorously excluded him from affairs of state. Though never overtly rancorous like Bertie's relations with Queen Victoria, Charles's push for a bigger royal role has led in the past to rivalrous tensions between his own household and the queen. The queen has been known to comment to advisors that she finds him maddening. And only in the last decade, when she has depended on him to share the burden, has she seen him as more than a recalcitrant child. (laughs) Yeah. So I guess the queen is irritated by Charles's thirstiness for the crown. And Charles is not very good at playing it cool. Mm -hmm. So Apparently, one at uh, Earl Spencer, Diana's father's funeral, he talked to Diana's brother, the late Earl's 28-year-old son and heir, and he said, and this is what uh, the young Earl Spencer said, he said, he did not seem to appreciate how I felt at my loss. We had just buried my father, and he kept telling me how lucky I was to have inherited so young. So what? I thought that was like, cool. yeah, quite revealing. I mean, obviously he just very much wants to be king. Not to, not to mean, say that's a bad thing. Yeah. Yeah. The, and the royals aren't deeply feeling people. He's also at least from the my most, perspective. I mean, he's the longest serving heir apparent in Britain's history. What does that mean? So that's just basically like he's had the longest time to wait to become king yeah. or to, you know. Yeah. Right. Because the heir apparent be- is the next person who's going to be crowned. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, okay. that would be annoying. But beyond Charles' thirst for coronation, I want to get back to how really Tina describes Camilla's appeal. Okay. Okay. So is this the tampon t- part? No, we're not there yet. Um, so this is what she says. She says that Charles, like Bertie, is a natural aesthete subject to sentimentality and tantrums and needs to be soothed and amused by a woman who can be both maternal and subtle in her controlling hand. Like Alice, Camilla's winning card has always been her ability to entertain. A place next to her at dinner is prized among guests at Highgrove Mm. who find her sophisticated and earthy, worldly and direct, and and marvelously salty fun. One frequent male attendee told me one of her great charms is to make you feel like the most important person in the room. I've been Insisted that you sit next to me, she will say in her deep, confiding voice. She has extraordinary skill in making you feel that you belong. This is what one of the guests said. He says, for a long time, she and I were the only people who were most likely to be smokers at these events, and she managed to make that into this joyous secret. Like Alice, Camilla has never challenged the status quo. She's a rooted embed in aristocratic life who needed no coaching and etiquette in around the royals. Like Alice, Camilla had in Major Andrew Parker Bowles a Marie Complaisante. I don't speak French, don't know what that means. Apparently unfazed by the joke around town that he was the man who had laid down his wife for the country. Oh, okay. So basically, 
Andrew Parker Bowles, the joke was that he was the man who had laid down his wife for the country, right, like her Edward yeah, VII, her or like right, like yeah, George yeah. Keppel had laid down Alice, apparently, or was proud uh-huh. of Alice, whatever. Right, right. Okay. And then she writes, like Edward, Edward VII with Alice, Prince Charles cannot live without her. Okay. Mm, all right. Um, okay, Chandler, but beyond Camilla's warm, earthy appeal, I want to talk to you about the Shand family. Does that work for you? Okay. I would love to hear about the Shand family. <laughs> Who are they? That's her. That's her family, <laughs> Camilla Shand. Oh, that's her real name. I thought it was Parker Bowles. No, that's her married name. That was her Andrew. married name. Yes, Camilla Shand. Okay, Camilla that Shand. Honestly, not as stately. I won't lie. Well, one of the things, actually, okay, this is Camilla's family sounds literally like one of the best families to ever be married into, and yes, that's correct. Not as stately. So, one of the things I absolutely loved hearing about was Camilla's Mm -hmm. life being born into a very established family in UK high society. So they weren't, they were not aristocracy, but they were in high society. They were not uber wealthy, but they were very much rich. And I'm always so curious about people who grow up in an environment where they know they will never need to make money. Like that just to me, like it's one thing to be born with, it's one thing to be born in a family where like, you know, the bills are paid and there's an expectation that you'll go to college. Like, yeah, the reality of someone who literally is born into generational extreme wealth mm-hmm. and there's just right. never an expectation that they'll have to work. Yeah. That is a life I'm very much interested in leading and was Absolutely. not giving. No, um, neither of us. Sadly. And I'm always just so curious about the, about, about that. Um, yeah. And I feel like Camilla's upbringing really br- provides an interesting window into that experience. So, Camilla is the daughter of Major Bruce Shand. Have you heard of him, Chandler? I have. No, of course I haven't. <laughs> I was like, wow. Okay, he's a – I hadn't either, so don't feel too bad. Okay. Um, he's <laughs> He's a British war hero who was captured by the Germans and was a prisoner of war for three years. Oh, wow. Um, but apparently – the major was very much a laissez-faire father and really took okay. a live and let live approach to Camilla's love life. Honestly, her parents really sound incredible. And I feel like our parents could take note when they hear about your big news okay. coming up. Right. We'll talk about that later. Okay. Okay. Um, so Rosalind Shand, Camilla's mother, was a celebrated high society beauty, of course. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Naturally. So. I would really like that to be on my headstone. So let's let's omit podcaster and right. just have high society beauty. Celebrated we'll society beauty. Okay. Thank okay. you. Even it, I don't care if it's bullshit. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Appar- Noted. <laughs> apparently, Rosalind's children took after her because Camilla and her siblings were called the sexy Shans. Camilla's brother, just- Mark. <laughs> yeah. Shan just like doesn't really have a lot of sex appeal to me, but maybe I'm wrong. Well, let me just tell you that Camilla's brother, Mark, was apparently the real minx of the family, the real hottie. And he was one of the most lusted after bachelors in British high society. Yes, it's true. Okay. Okay. Um, Okay. But moving on from Mark's sex appeal, I want to talk about Tina's, what Tina's description of Camilla's upbringing in a little more detail. So Tina tells us that she had a really relaxed, rich upbringing, which honestly sounds incredible a rich, relaxed upbringing. I mean, Mm -hmm. usually you don't get both. Right. Never, never. She was raised on a seven bedroom estate called the lanes, which you can actually Google. So you should Google it. Um, right now it's L L A I N E S the lanes 
and Google Shand, S-H-A-N-D. Um, it's just one of these really gorgeous wow. estate, British, mm-hmm. you know, British countryside estates. It's not mm-hmm. humongous. It's seven bedrooms, but it's probably yeah. like seven thousand, six to 7,000 square feet. Wow. Gorgeous. You know, a lot of a large country home. Mm-hmm. And Camilla's parents were apparently thoroughly unstuffy. And even though she could afford one, Rosalind didn't have a nanny and picked her own kids up from school and was a very involved mom. Wow. And okay. so this is okay. So I want to read what Tina exactly writes about this because I think it provides a really interesting, really cool picture of her upbringing. The Sharon children were raised with a kind of secure affection that breeds self-assurance. Home was a comfortable former rectory, the lanes, where ashcomb heirlooms merged with an easy profusion of eclectic objects, handwoven Moroccan kilims, and a deep sofa that welcomed dog hair. The house had wonderful views of the South Downs. Unusually for her class and era, Rosalind did not employ a nanny. She picked the girls up herself from their day school, Dumbrells and Ditchling, every afternoon and then spirited them off in the summer to the beach at Hove. Mm. She let Camilla and Annabelle go on riding and camping excursions over the downs and stay the night out in their sleeping bags. At dinner, Bruce would pour the children a glass of wine and water like the French do. And they were allowed to stay up late, hang out with Rosalind as she slipped her and hang out with Rosalind as she slipped, as she sipped her creme de menthe. I don't know. That must be some sort of cocktail. Yeah. Their friends were jealous of the chance, easygoing, relatable, the relatable parents. Wow. Their lives were filled with house parties, hunt balls, shooting weekends, and dinner parties in the grandest houses of England. Honestly, idyllic. I mean, like, I have the chills. I feel robbed. I mean, I did love our Orange County upbringing, but really, this sounds. I mean, this doesn't sound like they ever had to hit the ground running. No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. And there's just something so like the and this there's something so nice about one of those houses that you go to as a kid where you can tell the parents like are very comfortable with it being lived in. Like it's yeah, not totally. overly uptight in terms of cleanliness. Yeah. Like it's just yeah. warm and comfortable, which I just mm-hmm. love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um, so true. Yeah. So Tina notes that Camilla was raised in this really gorgeous, rich environment with a really tight family that had deep roots in the aristocracy. So as I said before, they were not aristocratic, but her father was this celebrated war hero. And we can contrast that with Diana. Diana was raised in a family that was super rich, super Mm -hmm. aristocratic, and had very shallow roots in the social world and in that in that high society because there was yeah. so much internal drama that they were always right, dealing right. with. And a, just and a broken family. Yeah. So what's yeah. interesting about Camilla versus Diana is that she had been running in Charles's social circle for years. So she was just and, and that you know like it's so nice when your partner just gets along with everyone, knows everyone, right. is has fun, you don't have to worry about them and it just sounds like Diana was the opposite. Diana was yeah. this like wallflower, very sheltered, not comfortable in social situations, yeah. scared, yeah. afraid, very young. And I you can understand why Camilla was the one he wanted to be with. Right, right. Her, the one he wanted to like, yeah, go to dinner parties with. Yeah. yeah. Tina says her social self-confidence increased her appeal to the opposite success. Camilla's allure was her husky baritone voice, candid blue eyes, curvaceous figure, and smiling accessibility. Mm-hmm. Chandler, do you know who else had some appeal? Who? <laughs> <laughs> oh 
You're going to pull some random name out of a hat right now. I just love these like setup questions where you're like, we shall. Who? No, I don't. Who is that? No, Thank you. please. Um, okay. Like William, there was a, a brief but vibrant bloom of youth on Prince Charles. Okay. And I am going to send you a picture right now of the young, hot Prince Charles that might just change your forever, how you look at him. Oh my gosh. Okay. And once again, this is my work computer. Let me just state that. Please don't send anything. Mm. That's still not doing much for me. Oh, come on. Okay. Well, let's just say that the young women of Britain at the time were, were, were not in agreement with Chandler. He looks like Nick Cage, I guess, a little bit, but Prince Harry's way hotter. I think he looks super hot in this picture. And this is what, this is what Tina writes. She says, it's hard to overstate what a glamorous figure the Prince of Wales cut in the early and mid-70s. He was the most eligible bachelor in Britain, manly, dashing, and heir to around 53,000 acres of the Duchy of Cornwall, which brought him an annual income of 80,000 pounds. I feel like that's not that much. Impressively shrewd, financial management has increased mm-hmm. his portfolio of land building and financial investments to around 22 million a year. The Royal Press Corps photographed him in perpetual motion, parachuting out of helicopters, windsurfing, and galloping around the polo field with mil- with a millionaire tan. Yeah. So, one thing I want to note here is when I talked about last episode about how royals don't have that, you know don't feel that rich and are surrounded by these super yeah. rich people i'm not talking about like the heirs i'm talking about i'm talking about like mike harry i'm talking about like andrew i'm talking about like like the ones that don't you know aren't bequeathed these huge inheritances um and have to really rely i mean look at harry kind of getting mad at oprah because his father turned off the faucet of his finances that is super, like, mm-hmm. you know, that's kind of interesting. Right. This is not the case with every royal, that they just have this huge amount, uh, this huge pot of gold. So I just sent you a photo of him that I think is hot. Yeah. I this mean, would he, smash. He is a vibe. He's a vibe. And especially yeah. knowing that you would be the next queen. Yeah. I yeah. mean... Not the worst thing in the world, for That's sure. That's called a swipe right. Okay. Yeah. Um, Here's one where he looks like Captain Von Trapp. Oh, gosh. Like, is. literally, that was my sexual awakening. Oh, um, disgusting. <laughs> Just okay. a Von Trappy one. Oh, my God. You're a slut for Captain Von Trapp. Let's be honest. I always have been. I always will be. Yeah. He, 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 he was. Yeah, okay. He, you're right. You're right. You know? It I might have been. corrected. It might have been a brief blooming, but the flower opened nonetheless. Okay, so Chandler, apparently from the moment Camilla and Charles met, it was on. It was on. It was on. Immediately after he met Camilla, Charles was in hot pursuit. There were intense late night phone calls, evening dancing, groin to groin at the Mayfair nightclub Annabelle's and suppers after the opera. Wow. He drove her in the blue Aston Martin his parents gave him for his 21st birthday to spend long private weekends. Sometimes they managed furtive meetings at her grandmother Sonia Cubitt's house in Hampshire. A Mm. butler for Sonia told a story how one afternoon Camilla had been wandering around all day in jeans done up in front with a safety pin. Mrs. Cubitt 
so so Sonia, her grandma, demanded to know whether she was going to change in something more appropriate for an impending visit from the Prince of Wales. Mm -hmm. I can even see your drawers, Camilla. She apparently bellowed, to which Camilla replied, oh, Charles won't mind about that. When the prince, I know, when the prince arrived at 6 p.m., they vanished into thin air together. He clearly appreciated her sexual joie de vivre. Pretend I am a rocking horse, she is said to have urged him to conquer his early diffidence in bed. (laughs) What? (laughs) Who got this detail? I have no idea. I've no. See, the, the way that Tina just mixes in full lore with facts is. It's really an art. This is really history and pornography, which is really yes. the best kind of history. Mm-hmm, truly. Mm-hmm. Like that's the wow. only kind of history I'm interested in. So really it was her earthy, rugged warmth that Charles fell in love with. And this is what someone said about Camilla during the time. Camilla used to come in in big muddy boots with her hair all blown around and good skin. And she just looked great. She had mm. dirt under her fingernails and it didn't bother her. And that was appealing to an uptight man like Charles. Right. And I think you you really see, like you contrast Camilla, who really is, I mean, from all accounts, just so incredibly down to earth warm, unpretentious. And, and you think about his family, like where he came from, it's the complete Mm -hmm. opposite of famously cold. Yeah. Like you can understand how he found solace in her, in her, in her lair. Okay. Um, I know you're going somewhere weird there. I I absolutely know it. Okay. But I want to move on to what I alluded to earlier, Chandler which is the culture of wealth and the really the lifestyle of leisure that Camilla and her family enjoyed. Okay. And before I really get into this, I want to make a disclaimer. I love education. I love female empowerment. I love running my own businesses. I love all of it. Retain Yet, finance. Yeah. I, I, trust me. I like the fact that women can own property and buy land. I think that's a good thing. I don't want to, you know, overturn that. Um, mm-hmm. However, a part of my soul does truly yearn for a life of full-time country house enjoyment, society balls, and luxury travel. I'm not going to lie to you, folks. Okay. So this is where I think this is like my favorite part of the chapter. Okay. This is what Tina says. She says, to Camilla's generation of upper-class girls, academics were irrelevant. From, (laughs) From the age of 10 through her teenage years, Camilla attended the elite London day school, Queen's Gate. It was a launch pad for her debutante season. According to the novelist Penelope Fitzgerald, it was very much a place where the girls were taught how to write checks, play bridge, and recognize a well laid table. Shit. Camilla left school with an O level, I guess it's like an A level, a good address book, and an ability to fence. A Swiss finishing school on the banks of Lake Geneva where the students learned French conversation, wine tasting, flower arranging, and the skills of running a big house completed Camilla's lack of formal education. It's just honestly so dreamy. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. Like all of that sounds more useful than anything I learned in my philosophy education. My degree. I mean, I'm sure I would get bored of it. I'm sure I would get bored of it at some point. And like, I don't know, but some of it just sounds kind of nice. I mean, I still don't know how to arrange a bouquet. And truthfully, like, yes, of course, you guys, I hope every, I hope everyone is forced through algebra too. You know, that's just the reality we have to live through. But it's nice to fantasize about a life of 
you know, a Swiss finishing school on Lake Geneva where you're arranging flowers and there's just like literally no financial pressure on mm-hmm. the, right. the forever horizon of your life. Okay. Right, right, Let's right. just appreciate that serenity for a second. Shall we? Like, honestly, the peace of mind, it, it brings the idea of that life. But like I said, I think I would get bored. I like being yes, a woman, okay. you know, who can make her own decisions, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. I really do. But sometimes yes. I mean, I like, but sometimes I hate paying rent. Okay. I'll be honest. Yes. Um, okay. So one thing Chandler, I know you're curious about with the debutante tradition when Camilla was brought up, um, and and apparently the old social ritual of doing the season when the Debs were, uh, when the Debs were presented at court before being launched into a whirlwind of cocktail parties, racing events, and glittering country house balls was on the downdraft since the late 1950s. Apparently, Prince Philip had long campaigned to get rid of the ritual on the grounds that it was bloody daft, a sentiment in sync with the British public scouring of deference toward the ruling class and the rising tide of satire and social conscience drama. Mm -hmm. Princess Margaret was no fan either. We had to stop them, she said. Every tart in London was being presented. (laughs) So, and I think this is is important to note, right? Because I think it's very easy to think, oh yeah, like she was born in, in high society UK. It was very prim. It was very proper. But no folks, Camilla and Charles, their like 20s were spent in the 70s, the rip-roaring 70s. Right. So this is what Tina says. She says, by Camilla's year, the counterculture vibes were streaming through the ballroom door. Girls were divided between those rolling their overstuffed joints and teetering around in miniskirts, knee-length boots, and elfin twiggy haircuts. And there were conservative peers like Camilla who stuck to strands of pearls and par- bucks fizz who knows what that is and parties at the guards polo club um okay so i want to just read for you what okay. camilla's social life was like when she was like in her early 20s okay okay because frankly it's a little unfair but okay it's just really <sighs> fun to hear about okay so after you know after her childhood which sounded incredible Blissful. getting basically buzzed at dinner with her parents right. and right. then like sleepovers yeah, exactly. outside yeah so then she gets to so at, and after swish finishing school in like geneva she gets to spend her afternoons to the other rights after bouts of shopping a posse of devs including camilla used to meet up on the green leather armchairs on the banking floor of harrods then head across the road for a lunch of cold roast chicken and peas at the brief encounter restaurant It seems Camilla has no regrets about her butterfly years. She never wanted a career. For 10 minutes, she had a pretend job with the decorator Colfax and Fowler, but was fired for coming in late after a night of dancing. So what? There was an inheritance of 500,000 pounds in the wings that would come to her on the death of her grandma, Sonia. Today, some of her contemporaries bitterly resent that girls of their generation were denied a good education. Camilla now a voracious reader and an avid consumer of culture and current affairs, is more inclined to see the value in what she learned in a system that has now vanished. Thank goodness I was brought up with the grounding of my parents in taught manners, she said. So this is what she's, this is what Camilla's, okay. Camilla's words. She says, 
It sounds, especially in this day and age, sort of snobbish, but we left school at 16. Nobody went to university unless you were a real brain box. Instead, (laughs) we went to Paris and Florence and learned about life and culture and how to behave with people, how to talk to people. This was very ingrained in my upbringing, and if I hadn't had that, I would have found royal life much more difficult. Wow. There's this part in the book that I'm not going to read, but basically she talks about how like Camilla's parents were like, you will have to learn how to talk and keep conversation going and be entertaining and be pleasing. Like it was a very big deal. You can't let silences hang in the air. And that is honestly something that I feel like mom was very intense with us about. Like mm-hmm. you can't, you have to learn how to talk to adults. You have to learn right. how to be graceful in social situations. It's highly important. And Really, honestly, it's a skill that I think a lot of people lack. Like I, it's a lost art for sure. A lot there, you know the people. Like it's always interesting to me when I go to a dinner and there are people who are just comfortable, like really not doing any of the work to carry on the conversation. Do you know those people? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, 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 definitely. It's like actually maddening. Like it makes no sense to me. And I just, I honestly really think it's true. Like people should learn that. But I'll get off that soapbox. You should run um, a finishing school in Puerto Rico. <laughs> yeah, that's perfect in English. I'm sure we'll in have Costa a lot Rica. of attendees. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So and Tina writes, indeed, Camilla was so perfectly trained for life with the heir to the throne in contrast with the abjectly unprepared Diana that it feels baffling that she was ever considered unsuitable, but with neither a grand title nor a record of chastity. And with names like Princess Marie Astrid of Luxembourg being bandied about as a possible royal bride, the chances of the Prince of Wales proposing to Camilla were slim. The unwritten rule of this season, as Christopher Wilson once put it, was if good girls don't, Camilla did. Wow. Um, (laughs) Camilla's- British people, man. It's amazing. you have really extolled the virtues of a rip-roaring, fun, sexually fun early 20s. And let's just say Camilla did not need to become a Patreon subscriber to get that intel. She mm-hmm. was she was fully living that life and seems like she had the most fun. Um, so one thing – okay, so one thing that I thought was so funny um, – this is what Tina says about like the need for a virgin for Charles. Oh, she gross. says, finding an intact woman in her late twenties <sighs> among Charles's contemporaries might've seemed easy from the queen mother's point of view, but in the free, in the freewheeling sexual mores of seventies London society, it was about as likely as citing the Loch Ness mon- monster. No wonder he and he wound up marrying the 20 year old ingenue lady, Diana Spencer. Um, wow. Okay, and this is another thing she says. It's also doubtful that Camilla would have accepted a proposal from Charles Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because for seven years, she remained headlong in pursuit of the sexier, more dangerous Andrew Parker Bowles. Um, Andrew Parker Bowles is a real cad and their relationship is a roller coaster ride. So next time we are going to chat... Andrew Parker Bowles, Camilla, all that drama and how Camilla and Charles found their way back to each other in that road. It You, you think these people are freaks now. It just gets better. It really, really? just gets better. Yeah. I mean, Andrew po- Parker Bowles, it's just insane. I, that's all I can say. It's what? the drama. Give me a little teaser. Give me a little teaser. 
I'm just saying the guy never stopped screwing whoever he wanted to. Stop. And yes, 100%. That's such a teaser. I love it. It's like not even a teaser. It's more like a headline. The guy never stopped screwing anybody he want. I mean, we talk about Mark Shand, Camilla's brother, one of the sexy Shands being yeah. the talk of the town. But if we were really going to get into it, I mean – Andrew Parker Bowles was like everyone was who everyone wanted at the time. Like okay, he stop was. Whispering. Stop getting so breathy. I hate it. I'm sorry, but he just he what he was he was the he was the most coveted and lusted after bachelor of the time, wow. and he really took advantage of that status. Okay, um, so it's very fun to hear about the adventures of Andrew Parker Bowles and the drama of his relationship well, with also- Camilla. And also Princess Anne, I'm seeing. Yeah. I mean, this stuff, you guys, I don't, we're mid-chapter two. We can't have six months of royals. So I'm hoping there's some boring chapters. I'm really praying so because I promise you there won't be six months of royals, everyone. We Um, can't do another 20-part anything. (laughs) I mean, I'm having fun. I actually am really having fun with this. So I hope everyone else is loving it. And next week we will be back part two of chapter two. Um, pray for me. Oh, Chandler, it's been so great to have you with me today it's been on so our podcast. <laughs> I'm sorry. Thank I always you. say that. You always say that like I'm a guest. Every week I'm a guest. And you know what? It's fine. I'll take it. Thanks. Thanks for letting me be the voice of the audience for, and for doing all the research. You little I mean, minx. You're, you are welcome to do all the research next time. If that um, sounds- I'll pass. You do it. You're okay. doing a great job. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. So I hope all of you loved that, you guys. Um, We will see you next week. And you know what? This weekend, do yourself a favor. Have some sexual comfort food. Bye. Bye. (laughs) That's all for now, folks. Don't forget, give us a five-star review. Hit us up on Instagram at Apologists, and we will see you next week, live every Wednesday. Bye.